0: So, we do see that there is a strong neurological component to stabilization, which overrides the biomechanics. The biomechanics subserve the neurology. The ability of the muscles to quickly be facilitated into uh, the required stiffness is much more important than the ability to generate a sufficient biomechanical bolster that would stop the spine from moving in an unwanted way um, during the execution of a movement. If that was the case, we would have very limited movement repertoires because the relationship of the diaphragms would have to be fixed and we would know that if that relationship became too um, disturbed there would be an automatic fail of the stabilization system and therefore a loss of strength a loss of posture and um, the possible immediate risk of injury
1: that's you know that's interesting that's an interesting way to think about it because you're all you're saying you know you're saying the fact that there is a wider range of motion available to us is ultimately the proof that we can effectively stabilize those those positions or postures because if we weren't capable Again, evolution wouldn't have allowed us to even get to the point where we, we can wouldn't. move. There. I
0: know. Or we exactly. would have bro-
1: Anybody who moved there would have broken down and not passed on their genes, essentially.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, there's, uh, there is, uh, because without that flexibility, evolution is, is, your chances of survival are not very good. I mean, let us face it, animals, any animal, not only has to deal with the natural environment, but there are many animals that must deal with artificial environments that they were never evolutionally equipped for. But yet they surmount those challenges because there is resilience in the system and there's flexibility in the system. You know, um, the same, uh, the same ability that allows an octopus to get in and out of a a, a marmalade jar, which is not something it has ever encountered in its (laughs) evolutionary life. Let me, I mean, come on. (laughs) Twist on, twist off.
1: It is amazing.
0: (laughs) A twist on, twist off lid on a jar is nothing that nature actually prepares an octopus for. (laughs) <laughs> but yes, it is able to find its way because it is adaptable. We have developed movement repertoires that allow us to skateboard, do the half-pipe, dance, um, do parkour uh, jumps, an an amazing, excuse me, array of movement scenarios which defy the parallel relationship of diaphragms. It just does. And yet it is possible to generate enough force to complete these complex movements without injury.
1: Um, and and again yeah. without I mean in one sense without without injury over time is definitely you know, an output factor that should be considered, Considered. you know, if somebody is constantly getting injured, then you can reliably say that, yeah, the pattern that they're using is probably not the most effective. Um, uh, But the other, the other idea is you can't necessarily just simply rely on injury. Uh, You have to, (laughs) you have to still do your pre and post assessments Right. On, you have to still do the audits.
0: That's right. Yeah. So we do see that there is a strong neurological component to stabilization, which, um, which overrides the biomechanics. And as I've always said, the biomechanics subserve the neurology. The neurology is paramount why because it is a living breathing entity we're not talking about dead tissue dead levers etc we're talking about the ability of a brain to make decisions to change leverage systems to tighten loosen joints to change muscle tone in an instant these factors the biotensegrity factors that allow for minute and major adjustments of the biomechanical efficiency or effect is what um, that is what uh, puts us apart from mechanical objects constructs that have no living brain to oversee there. Their movement patterns. Yeah, I mean it's.
1: I guess uh, that you know, and then using that um, the model that we've set up of auditing uh, being essentially the only way to really tell if something mm. is of quality or not. That is ultimately how we're going to test whether or not somebody is stabilizing effectively, utilizing the strategy of breathing um, and mm-hmm. production of intra-abdominal pressure. We can look at it visually. We can even feel it to see to see if the stereotype that we're looking for is happening. But ultimately, we still have to globally assess them. Before and after, to really tell whether or not that 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 strategy was effective, because people can fool us. (laughs) I mean, you know, we can look and say, "Oh, yes, that looks very nice," and then you reassess, and nothing changed or it worsened.
0: That's right. Yes, and that would ultimately tell us
1: that, yeah, what you just did either wasn't enough or or was poor.
0: And there is a technology on the way that may help us uh, better. There's portable ultrasound, which will give us another uh, insight into the tissue function. Um, For instance, these uh, new ultrasound uh, machines that are so highly portable may show change in fascial motility or mobility pre- and post-movement. Dear God. Uh, um, There are sensors um, that, for example, you see in um, movement and weight-bearing that can track force production or um, uh, uh, reactive force so that you can say, yes, you're landing more on your heavy on your left leg than you are on your right during your running or your jumping. All these things are coming down the line, and they will only help us be more accurate in our assessment. But they'll give us more standards,
1: they'll give us more benchmarks give us more standards,
0: to, more. Yes, to say, that's we right.
1: know that you need to hit this amount of pressure or this amount of contraction or a load at that area in order to be effective.
0: Yes, but the basics will always remain the same. Do we have an easy, sensitive measure by which we can get a global read on the patient's, uh, on the price that is paid for the movement? That is what we're assessing. What is the cost of this movement? And ideal movement is the one that costs us the least, whilst it is being still effective. That is what ideal movement basically is. It is the least costly movement that has the greatest effectiveness. That is it. So if we can um, get parameters that can prove to us that this is the case for this individual then we're good to go
1: yeah yeah that would i mean that would obviously make it a little bit easier and Mm -hmm. make it easier for the patient because it's feedback essentially it's some type of biofeedback something that they can point to and and get at yeah Mm. if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it then please like this video and subscribe to our channel. You can also stay up to date on our latest seminars on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook, at IMTRseminars.